Well, hello there, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards, and it's pureandsimplebible.com. I am so thankful to have an opportunity to talk about the Bible with you. And it's a new year, so happy new year. While I try to make these episodes evergreen, so you could be listening to this, and it's not around a new year season. When I'm recording it, it is the beginning of January. And even though it's rainy and cold where I'm at presently, I want to talk today from Hebrews chapter 12 about running an endurance race. Yeah, I'd love to be outside. I wish that the weather would let me, and yet I find myself cooped up indoors. And uh, it's on my mind to talk about Hebrews 12, the endurance race. You might have been wondering who the guest is, and I don't have one today. So I'm trying to line some guests up at the beginning of this year. Hopefully, either next week or the week after, we'll have some guests back on the podcast, and it'll be truly a discussion format. But for now, it's just you and me, and we're having a conversation per se. I know I'm the only one talking, but I really want you to be able to listen to this like it's just the two of us together. So maybe you're driving. Imagine I'm sitting shotgun, or maybe I'm in the back seat and I'm a backseat driver telling you where to go. Maybe you're uh, at home doing some chores. Maybe you're out for a jog. And you know what? If you are, in fact, if you have listened to this and uh, you're actively listening, you've, you've sat down at the table, maybe with a cup of coffee to listen, then I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Just yesterday, I had a young lady tell me that she turns on Pure and Simple Bible at bedtime. And we had a great chuckle about it because, uh, you know, the thought was, Jonathan Edwards can really put me to sleep. And while I am, you know, in one part a little bit amused by it, I'm also thankful. It's good to know that, uh, you know, someone's going to sleep with the scriptures being talked about. And so if you have trouble sleeping in pure and simple Bible, it could be that uh, sleep aid for you. It's working for somebody else. All right, well, let's talk about Hebrews 12 and running this endurance race. And, uh, you know, it could be motivating for a new year when sometimes we have physical health goals. Uh, but for those of you who don't like running and those of you who don't like exercise, really, what even though I might use that analogy, I want you to use what is meaningful in your life where you've had to go through some sort of endurance. Whether that be, uh, let's let's just say, for example, like a health trial. Maybe you've had a period in your life where you've been dealing with poor health. And uh, in that poor health episode, it's been really difficult to keep going forward. Maybe you've endured some sort of grief. Uh, maybe the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or the loss of just something consistent in your life. And, and because of that loss, you had to endure for a period of time, um, the, the, some sort of new normal that didn't feel very normal. Whatever it is, even though I'm using the analogy of racing, because that's what Hebrews 12 talks about, uh, I want you to use something that is meaningful and tangible to you and instead of just rolling your eyes and saying, well, I don't run races, so this obviously doesn't uh, work for me. Now, with that in mind, I want you to put on what I'm going to call your Jewish reader glasses. This is something that I've been doing for the past year or so 
at Valley Parkway, I invite the congregation and I have a slide and a PowerPoint, uh, a slide that has a pair of glasses that is able to show the world in color. And uh, I want you to imagine a world that's in black and white, and then you're able to put on these glasses that then make everything vibrant with color. And that's what it's like when you put on the glasses of a Jewish reader or of a, a first century reader, maybe we could call it that, someone who was receiving the letter and had context for what was going on. And that context, it could be historical or cultural or geographical or visual or linguistic or literary. There's a lot of different things in the community uh, that are around the scripture that we study. And these glasses, when we put them on, you know, if you weren't wearing the glasses, you're seeing the truth. It's in black and white, right? But when you put on the glasses, you see it in vibrant color, and there's there's just another dynamic that's there. Meaning, we don't have to necessarily wear them all the time to know what the Lord's will is in our life. However, I think we'll be abundantly blessed if we do know the context of what's going on. So if you're in Hebrews 12 with me, and we're processing these verses, then I think it's going to be good to put on the, the lens of a Hebrew reader right, of a Jewish reader, because this book was written to Jewish Christians in the first century, and they are on the verge of leaving because of persecution. And so the writer, many think it's Paul, uh, I might use both, I might call him the writer, I might call him Paul, but the writer is addressing this group who's about to leave, and he's urging them, don't go back to Judaism, because that former way of life has nothing on the way that Jesus brings. And so the whole book, I think we could we could summarize with a theme, a, a dual theme of two purposes. First, it's to elevate Jesus as superior. And you'll see that all through the book of Hebrews. And then second, the theme is to challenge the audience to remain faithful. And so in the first century, it's a Jewish Christian audience who, in the face of overwhelming persecution and and you know, unknown fear, are having this kind of group conversation, per se, of, is this really worth it? Maybe we should go back. We're not going to be persecuted if we go back to that old way. And that old way has, you know, 1,500 years of pedigree. And, and it has this rich character history and, and abundant family connection to the people of Abraham. Maybe we ought to go back to that. And so the writer, as he's elevating Jesus as superior and challenging the reader to be faithful, comes to Hebrews 12, and in a very poetic and beautiful and powerful way, is challenging um, these repeated themes to the readers again. So what I might do is read the scripture and then offer just a few comments on it, and in such a way, I hope to, just between the two of us, um, share something encouraging for you to think about, all right? So the, there, there's four big sections that I'm going to break it down into. And I might actually put my PowerPoint on um, the Pure and Simple Bible website. So if you were to go to pureandsimplebible.com backslash podcast and look for this episode called Endurance Racing in the Kingdom, you could uh, access all of the slides that I'm, I'm currently looking at so that I have reference for what I'm talking about. But when I wrote this study and I presented it at Valley Parkway, where I work, um, to me, I'm a visual learner. A lot of people are visual learners as well. I had a lot of good feedback from the study, 
from people who said it's really good to be able to see it kind of organized and broke down. And so to you, dear listener, if you want to go to the website, I will try to put it up there, a link to, I put all my, my, my sermon PowerPoints in a Google Drive. And so maybe you can follow the link there and access this if you want to see the image that I'm talking about. So the image that I'm looking at has the theme, that dual theme, elevating Jesus as superior and challenging the reader to remain faithful. And it has it broken down into four ways that Hebrews 12 accomplishes that dual theme. In verse 1 through 3, it uses the analogy of running the race of endurance. In verse 4 through 11, it talks about the discipline of the Lord. Verse 12 through 17 talks about the pursuit of peace and holiness. And then verse 18 through 28 talks about this unshakable kingdom that we have received. So let's begin in that first section of running this race for endurance. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. That's just one verse. I probably could do a whole podcast about one verse. Anytime I see therefore in the scriptures, maybe I've already said this on the podcast numerous times, but anytime I see therefore, I back up to find out what it's there for. And that's worth its weight in gold as far as Bible study goes. If you're interested in growing in Bible study, you need to pay attention to red flag words like therefore that should send out a, hey, this is here to remind me to back up and read the previous section. And if I did that, if I went back to Hebrews 11, then I would see it what's called the hall of faith, a hall of faith filled with great men and women of faith in the Old Testament. And this group of people, it says in, in chapter 12, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, we're supposed to do two things. It says, let us lay aside and let us run. So there's your two commands. You're supposed to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And I could go into that metaphor a whole lot, but I'm just going to summarize it this way. Obviously, we're supposed to set sin aside. But what does it mean to set aside every weight? You know, when runners practice, sometimes for races, they'll put on weights around their ankles or around their waist, and then they practice with that additional weight. And when it's race day, they take the weight off. You know, those weights were good. They were helpful. But they had to take them off to do what was best, and that is run the race with efficiency. And we know as believers that we're supposed to set sin aside. But sometimes I think believers struggle with setting aside things that are good in order to pursue what is best. So, dear listener, I want you to hear that. In your life, in our culture, we are just overwhelmed with good things, things that are fun, things that are enjoyable, things that are uh, meaningful and existential, right? All these different things that we have that are, are good. But I want to challenge you to remember that we're supposed to pursue what's best. Are you making time in your life for Jesus, for pursuing Jesus, for running a race of endurance in the name of Jesus, or have the good things of life that are enjoyable and fun and not necessarily sinful, but maybe they're just weighing you down. So just remember, we have to set some boundaries in our life where we lay aside what's good to pursue what's best. 
Hebrews 11 verse 1 continues, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. And so we have this, this picture of us running an endurance race, and maybe you've run or you've, you've walked a 5K, that's 3.1 mile, all the way up to a full marathon. Maybe some of you have run 26.2 miles. And maybe there's a few of you out there that are those, you know, ultra athletes that run the 30 or the 50 or the 100 mile races. It's, it's amazing. Um, I'm, by the way, I have a goal to run a 100 miler um, b- before I'm 40, which I'm very quickly running out of time. I don't know if I'm going to accomplish that goal or not, but I'm just throwing it out there into the atmosphere that that's something I'd like to do. Anyway, when we run the race of endurance in Hebrews 11, verse 1, verse 2 tells us where we're to look. And I just want to tell you this. I've run some races, uh, different mileage, and one of the, the training tools that I learned in running races was that you got to put your eyes up on a goal. Don't look at the ground. When you look at the ground, you lose your pace, you lose your hope, uh, things just start to weigh you down more. When you're looking up, maybe you're looking at a tree off in the distance, or maybe you're looking at another racer who's you know far ahead and you kind of have this goal of trying to catch up to him. Whatever it is, looking ahead, there's something psychological about it that helps you keep going. What do you think in the endurance race of the kingdom that we ought to put our eyes on as we're racing? It's verse 2. It says in the end of verse 1, let us run with endurance, the race that's set before us, verse 2, looking to Jesus. And then it describes him, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he did three things. For the joy set before him, one, he endured the cross. Second, he despised the shame. And third, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so verse 3 says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In the endurance race of the kingdom, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just going to use the example of a, a full marathon. It's 26.2 miles. I have run a few marathons, and every time I run, uh, it's been about the same. Around mile 20, you hit this wall. It's different than the other walls. You know, you run other races. Maybe you hit a wall at mile one or two where your side starts to hurt a little bit and you've lost your breath. Then you hit another wall at mile six, seven, eight, where you, you've run out of that first great running high, but you kind of push through. There's something about mile 20 for me, just the way my, that God designed my body. Uh, my knees start to lock up. My lower back starts to tighten and my body kind of goes into rebellion. And I remember one race specifically, I was running uphill at mile 20. And what a difference that made versus running uphill at mile two. I remember going uphill, you know, um, kind of a steady incline early in the race. And it was kind of like, bring it on. I can do what I can do this all day long at mile 20. Whoo, that hill, it could have met Mount Everest. You know, it was, it was such a challenge. And the end of verse 3 in Hebrews 12, where it says, the, the reason that we're looking for, to Jesus is so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And that's just, the, to me, the, the, the whole reason why we're, our eyes are on Jesus through this endurance race in the kingdom. He's our founder. He's the founder of the faith. Of a, he's the perfecter of our faith. 
So Jesus not only established this new faith, but he's also its perfecter. That alone ought to motivate, you know, if I'm putting on the, the glasses of a Jewish reader, a Jewish Christian reading the perfecter of faith ought to be able to look back at the law of Moses and see that nobody could perfect it. And that these high priests who they would sacrifice first for themselves and then for the sins of others year after year, all they could do was, was kind of put off sin for a little bit until their next sin. You know, they weren't perfect. Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of faith. And for the joy that set before him, he endured the cross. You know, this, these three verses, the word endurance or endure happens three times. Verse 1, we're to run race with endurance. Verse 2, Jesus endured the cross. Verse 3, we consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against him. It's, a, it's an amazing word. And, and even though it's there in, in the Hebrew Scripture, it's elsewhere as well. And I want to use it elsewhere to encourage you, dear listener, to engage in your Old Testament. Now, we already know that when we put on the, the glasses of a Jewish reader, then we're going to be enriched with whatever text we're reading. But I want you to listen to Paul in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. It says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Okay, that's enough right there. Paul is telling us that the Old Testament, that is the things that were written in former days, they were written for our, that is Christians, instruction. So Christians ought to be getting stuff out of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through Malachi. Because the New Testament, the four Gospels, the Book of Acts, the Epistles, Revelation, man, it all oozes with Old Testament. It's, it's filled with Old Testament citations and references and fulfillments, you know, callbacks, connections, comparisons. All of this stuff was written for our instruction. But I want you to keep listening. Listen to Romans 15 where Paul says the Old Testament was written for our instruction. But then listen to this. He says that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two times it says, first, the Old Testament was written for that through the endurance and the encouragement of those scriptures, we might have hope. And then it, Paul calls out God as the God of endurance and encouragement. Oh, endurance is so important. I, I don't know if I could emphasize that enough in this conversation that you and I are having. Endurance is so important. And yet, our culture really pursues. And when I say our culture, I really, I'm just talking about American pop culture. Pop culture it pursues convenience. It pursues shortcuts. I mean, I tell my kids and, and other people this constantly, work smarter, not harder. And I believe I'm a big fan of that. I'm a fan of working harder, not smarter. But what I'm saying is there, there permeates within our culture the opposite of endurance. So much so that we chafe sometimes. Our culture chafes against endurance, and we think that anything that would need to be endured is it's not worth it. We give up so easily. So you and me, dear listener, you and me, if we're running this endurance race in the kingdom, then we know that we're going to have to run a long time 
It's a lifelong race. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon, a life marathon. And you and I have to remember that we are here to endure. Now, uh, so much more to say. I'm curious how far I might go in this episode, and then I might keep going next week, just the two of us, and then maybe after that I can bring in a guest and um, ask them some questions. But yeah, let's go ahead and talk about the second section of Hebrews 12, the discipline of the Lord. It's directly connected to running an endurance race. Endurance requires discipline. But I want you to remember, just visualize with me, remember the book of Hebrews has this giant overarching dual theme to elevate Jesus as superior and to challenge the reader to remain faithful. And we've just accomplished the first step in that by, by using this metaphor of running a race, and it's an endurance race. But then the writer immediately goes into this next section, and it seems like it's shifting to a completely different topic, the idea of discipline and being chastised. And yet I would suggest that it's directly connected to the endurance race and to the section coming after it. Uh, and so let's maybe consider it together and then... Um, I'll offer some comments. How about that? If you've got your Bible open, look at Hebrews 12, verse 4. By the way, I'm reading out of the English Standard. However, I'll be quoting some King James in this section because uh, I think the King James uses some more direct, dare I even say shocking, language uh, that helps us see some pretty powerful things. Okay. So... Let's read it. Verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Now remember, we laid aside in verse 1, laid aside every weight and sin which so easily entangles. So the writer is reminding them, hey, when you set sin aside, there, there very likely will be persecution or um, there will be opposition but he's reminding them, you haven't got to that point yet. Verse 4, again, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Verse 5, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And then the Hebrew writer quotes Proverbs 3, verse 11, which says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now, there's a really interesting word that goes throughout this section, and it's the word discipline in the ESV. In Old King James, it, it may say chasten. And it's, uh, there's, there's a few different Greek words, but they're all kind of rooted in the same, uh, I guess, root word. I'm not really certain how to define it, but maybe the base word. And that word from G3816, if you look it up in Strong's, it means to train to train up a child, to educate, to discipline, to chasten, to instruct, to learn, to teach. So in this section, um, it's directly related, you know, if you put on the Jewish glasses, right? It's about how they're, they're about to be persecuted, so they need to be ready for it. And they get ready for it by laying aside, you know, weight and sin and put their eyes on Jesus. But you know, I've used this section in the past to talk about spanking or, you know, corporal punishment, which, by the way, I actually advocate for corporal punishment. I believe it's very important that families 
set boundaries with their children, both small and medium and large children as they go through life. And uh, part of those boundaries is the punishment, right? The discipline that fathers and mothers ought to give their children. So just know that I'm a fan of that. However, Hebrews 12 is more about the discipline, that is the training up, the instructing, the learning, the educating that comes through the trial, right? So God will allow us to be tried so that we can be trained for his glory. Listen to verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That's a rhetorical question, meaning every son and daughter has been disciplined by their parent. Now, the writer is writing to families with an assumption that we're, we're trying to live godly. So, listener, if you're hearing these words and you're thinking about your family of origin and maybe your family of origin practiced some ungodly practices, maybe they disciplined out of anger and it was abusive, or maybe they didn't discipline to a point of neglect, and that's also abusive, by the way, but maybe you have an extreme family example and you hear these words and you're like, well, not everyone gets disciplined because I didn't, or not everybody gets disciplined correctly because I got way over-disciplined. What I'm asking for you to do is, is maybe look beyond your family of origin if it's challenging to look at them. Look beyond and look to the biblical family. Look at the model of the family. And when we look at the model family and we ask that rhetorical question, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? The rhetorical answer is, oh, you're right. Anyone uh, who is raised in a, a godly biblical family ought to have experience with discipline because that's the family's prerogative. In verse 8, man, it's got some powerful words. It says, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Fascinating. The King James uses a stronger word. The King James says, if you haven't been disciplined, then you are a bastard. Now, that word is commonly used as a pejorative or uh, you know, something extremely negative in our pop culture. In the scriptures, it is a strong indication of illegitimacy, that you're not in the family tree, you're not an heir, you're illegitimate. It's powerful, right? Discipline is expected, and here's something powerful that, that we need to think about. If Christians do not persevere, if we cannot endure sin, and if we're unwilling to endure persecution, we're not God's children. It's just that, it's just that clear, right? The writer is trying to teach us that we ought to endure, and if we do not endure, then we're not God's children. So, dear listener, I just want to encourage and remind you that when we suffer, when a trial comes our way, and remember, trials are different than temptation, meaning God, according to James chapter 1, God's not going to tempt us with, hey, here's the wrong thing, and uh, I'm just tempting to see if you're faithful or not. That's not 
how God works. God does try us, sending us things that will test and build upon our, for example, patience or mercy or kindness or goodness or love or justice or righteousness. And we can pass the test or we can fail it. And in the passing of it, we endure and we're refined by fire. And in the failure of it, we are humbled and reminded of our weakness. And if when we fail a trial, we give up, that's what Hebrews 12 is saying, by the way, if we fail and then we give up, if we don't endure, then we're not his children. So when we suffer, we're not supposed to complain. When we are persecuted, we're not supposed to give up. When we are at mile 20 in this endurance race of life, and you're going uphill, maybe you have to walk. Maybe you have to crawl. But whatever you do, don't walk back down the hill and disqualify yourself from the race. Now, I could talk more about this section. I'm just going to say this from verse 11, and then I think I'm going to wrap up for today, and I'm going to use next week to talk about the next two sections. Um, but Hebrews 4 verse 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Ooh, I love that word, those who've been trained by it. You know what that word is directly tied to? Discipline. We are disciplined. We are trained so that when we're in mile 20 of this endurance race of life, it seems painful. It doesn't seem pleasant, but we know on the other side, is peaceful fruits of righteousness. We know what happens at mile 26. I'm just going to share this with you, a personal example, and then I'm going to wrap up for today. Uh, when I started training for long-distance racing years ago, I'd never run, you know, more than a few miles. And on my little chart, uh, I, I practiced, I think, for about three or four months before I ran a marathon. Um on the chart, you know, you'd increase your mileage every Saturday. Saturday was my long race day. So the first week I ran, I think, six miles, which I don't know if I had ever run six miles. And so I was scared. But way down the way, uh, I had 10 miles, and then I had 15, and then I had 20, you know. I think the longest I ran before the marathon was like 22 miles, right? Um, but each one of those milestones I'd never done, and, and I was scared. Because when I'd start racing, I was like, I've never run double digits before. And then I ran double digits. And then about three or four weeks later, it says that I'm supposed to run 15 miles. I'd never run 15 miles. But you know what? I had run double digits. I knew what it was like to run 10. So on the day, on that Saturday that I had to run 15 miles, I wasn't scared of running 10. And I ran through the 10 pretty easily. Now, <laughs> you get into the teens and wasn't as easy anymore. But then a few weeks later, I had to run 20 miles. And I was actually terrified of that. I don't know why. There's just something about that number, the idea of it being 20. But when I got to 10 on that Saturday, I just kept going. When I got to 15, I just kept going. And I remember conquering that 20 mile. There was something just mentally, you know, like a, a block at 20. 
when I got past 20, I thought I can run forever. And on the race day, when it was 26.2, even though I had not run 26 miles before in my life, I had run 20. And I wasn't afraid. I was excited. It was an, it was an energy, like I'm ready to do it. And when I got to mile 20 in the race and my knees were locked up and my lower back was locked up and I had to walk several times, I had to stop and walk to kind of loosen things up. I never dreamed of quitting. I was in immense pain. It was painful rather than pleasant, as Hebrews 12 verse 11 would say. But I looked towards that race finish line because my wife was there. My kids were there. I was so excited to celebrate with them. Anyway, I don't mean to make it all about me. It's really not the intention is, you know, glory to Jonathan. No, 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 no. Just an example so that you, dear listener, can think about your life and whatever it is that you're enduring. Again, use something that you're familiar with in your life. Maybe it's a, a, a long-term health, a long-term loss, a long-term change, whatever it is. It seems painful at the present instead of it being pleasant. But just remember, it yields peaceful fruits of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Mm, good scripture. Let's keep talking about it next week. So come back for part two of Endurance Racing in the Kingdom. And uh, then after that, we'll have a guest. I have some thoughts. I'm thinking about... Uh, with Pure and Simple Bible, it's going to continue to be free. And all of the content that I'm going to have available is free. But lately, I've been in need of some equipment upgrading. Uh, I have some other things I want to do with Pure and Simple Bible. But funding has always been an issue for me because I try to do this as free as possible. And there's been some other podcasts that I listen to, and they, they do Patreon and other things like it. And I've been talking to some some of my wise counsel, and I've been asking them about, you know, would it be okay if I did Patreon? And uh, their, their counsel was basically, well, are you going to take any content away and put it behind a paywall? And I said, no, I don't want to. I want it to be free for everyone. But for those who want to, they could offer up either a one-time or a monthly contribution on Patreon to Pure and Simple Bible. And um, anyway, I'm thinking about going that way. Uh, for those out there who um, maybe have experience with that, if you wanted to send me an email or a text and let me know your thoughts on Patreon or other things like it, you know, I've got Venmo, I've got, you know, anything. But there's something about Patreon where it's the ability to do a, a monthly gift where it just kind of rolls you into it. Um, they've been intriguing me lately. So anyway, um, that's on the horizon. I'll talk to you more about it next week. And let's see if anything else before we go. I guess that's it. Go to the website. Check out all the other content that's there. My goal in 2024 is to update the workbooks. I'm going to make them smaller. Uh, the big full-size workbook doesn't really fit on the bookshelf the way other books do, so I'm going to try to make them smaller. I'm going to brush them up, make them more usable for you. I'm going to make a, a big push to get people to use them. I've got some new content, workbook content, that I'm hoping to roll out. I'm also hoping to jumpstart um, YouTube shorts. YouTube shorts are like the holy grail of getting people to your YouTube channel. So what I'm asking for, I guess, for you today, listener, is please pray for me and that, that look, I will have balance, that I will be able to know what is good and what's best and lay aside things that are good, but that I can use this 
ministry at Pure and Simple Bible to help others know the Lord. That's what I want. I want God to be glorified and the church to be edified. So anyway, pray for me and I will pray for you. Always remember God loves you very much and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, it's real.